I sort of joke that um, there was actually nothing wrong with his left leg and his left hand. I just had the doctors amputate them to make sure he, he would um, stop bull riding because he was still, um, he was out with an injury when he had his car accident, but he was still, was yeah. 39 and my goal was to get to 40. You've got to have goals in life. That was my goal, to get to 40, still riding bulls at the ultimate level in Australia. G'day and welcome back to another year for the Humans of Agriculture podcast and I'm so excited to be back for another year. I'd like to start off by acknowledging the Wiradjuri people, the traditional custodians of the land on where I recorded this podcast and I'd like to extend those respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend those respects to wherever you may be listening to this podcast. The Humans of Agriculture podcast is kicking off 2022 and we are still very lucky to have the support of LAWD. LAWD are the specialists in agribusiness valuations and transactions and their help has been huge over the past 10 months. We can't wait to continue working with them. We promised that we were going to step things up a little bit this year and this story is an absolute roller coaster. It's a story of love, life, and when faced with adversity, how sheer determination can get you through. Karen and Jamie, or Dodge, as he's probably better known, are from a little town called Mendoran out near Dubbo. I had the chance to head out and catch with the, catch up with them at the back end of last year. Their love started at Ag College from a very rocky first day at McDonald's, and their life has certainly never been dull or boring since. In his younger years, Jamie took to the world of bull riding, a natural competitor and sportsman. He's as tough as they come, and not even a broken neck could stop him from getting a Guinness World Record on a mechanical bull, of all things. But on the 27th of March in 2014, their lives changed forever. Dodge was heading home from work at the Dubbo sale yards when a truck ran him off the road, sending his car into a tree and bursting into flames. Their story is absolutely remarkable, and there's so many nuggets in here that whether it's a challenge or a setback that you've got in your life setting goals how you can look within yourself and how these two have overcome some absolutely extraordinary events and still just approach life with so much humor and optimism it's incredible enjoy the chat welcome karen and and jamie to the humans of agriculture podcast and thank you for having us in your beautiful garden here thanks ollie thanks for the invite thank you We'd love to just start off, obviously you two have known each other for a long time and, and you met back when you were 18. Can you tell us a little bit more about yeah, how, how you two met and, and where it was? I went to Ag College together, um, so I, I did two years there and Karen came in on my second year, um, so she was a year, year below me, but uh, I don't know, it was that attraction, um, yeah, I don't know, something was had to meet her and went from there. Do you remember the first meeting, Karen? I don't think I do. <laughs> so you told me about it later. The first date I took her out on went to McDonald's yeah. in the old hole in Utah had. And um, so I went down to Maitland in the main street, had to get fuel. So I went to the bank and as I parked in the gutter, the ute's on a slant. So all the fuel went to one side, ran out of fuel. First date. <laughs> still here. Remember, was this the was that the starting block for your relationship for both of you? That it wasn't going to be straightforward. It was always going to be a bit <laughs> it of a laugh. Be smooth sailing, no, <laughs> no, you wouldn't expect. Tell me a little bit more about 
ag college? What were you guys studying and yeah? Ah, uh, so it was just the um, certificate in agriculture. I think you did the advanced ticket, didn't you? No, you did. I did. Uh, certificate in agriculture, anyway. Yeah. Um, so just general running farms, bookkeeping, that sort of thing. Tell me a little bit more, Jamie. Whereabouts you grew up? So I grew up in Scone, Hunter Valley, um, in town. Avid sportsman. My father actually had a sports store, um, so I played any sport going in Scone. And when I was about 12 or 13, my sister's boyfriend got hold of me and took me up on their, they had a, they had a farm. Um, and from there, I just fell in love with the farm life, rural life, and that was what I was going to do. Um, but as I progressed, got a bit older, I had the opportunity to go to um, Brisbane, do a jockey apprenticeship. And I was always wanting to be the bigger man, not the little jockey. So there's no way I was going to do that. I had a chance to go to... Sydney and play football, um, but just had that love for the land. Yeah, wow, well, it's quite it's quite a pull to kind of have that that choice between chasing the yeah, sport. Yeah, well, I wouldn't be here now, would I? Yeah, but um, yeah, like I don't know what it is. Just the cattle, I just love cattle and horses and dogs, and it's just what I was going to do. And what about you, Cam? Where was your childhood? Yeah, I grew up at Jervis Bay down the south coast, so something totally different from here. But my parents' um, best friends had a farm in Kangaroo Valley and that's where I got the love of the land from and just wanted to be out on, you know, work in that space. So, yeah, that's what led me to Ag College and I guess sealed my fate. (laughs) (laughs) Was, Was there, like, anything else that you ever wanted to do in terms of career-wise or, or after you finished school? What were the dreams of a younger Karen? Yeah, it was just always just wanted to work with cattle, really. Cattle and horses and and that was it. And so that love of cattle led you to uh, finding yourself a bull rider. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you found me before that. Oh, well, so that was afterwards? No, no. no. I, was yeah. just, I was just getting started. In, in rodeo. Tell me a little bit more about that rodeo side of things. Like, for our listeners, can you tell us a bit more about that bull riding and how someone falls into that path? don't really know. The way I got into it was um, when I was at college, a couple of mates said, let's go to the local rodeo, get on a steer. And to me it was like, what's that as such? You know, I'd never experienced that before. Um, so we went to the rodeo and just fell in love with it. And um, probably got on about four steers and then decided, no, I want something better. So I decided to get on bulls. And just went from there. Um, I don't know, it's just that challenge, man versus beast, um, the camaraderie, your mateship, that goes along with it. So was it from that very first moment at that radio that that, that love was sparked? Or did it take oh, it? yeah, no, it was pretty much that first one. A bit like your first date at McDonald's. <laughs> a, bit like a, a bit like when I saw her walking through college. <laughs> <laughs> and what about for you, Karen? Did you end up following Jamie around the radio circuits or did you steer clear for a little while? No, I think um, I followed him around and like we got to experience a lot of Australia that way by travelling and and sort of seeing a lot of sites or places we probably wouldn't have normally gone if it wasn't for going to that little rodeo somewhere. I burn her out for the last sort of five years I was off my own. She wouldn't had kids I suppose too, but she had she was sick of travelling too. Oh, it just made it a lot more difficult when you had kids and, you know, animals that, you know, someone's got to stay home and, and feed the animals and look after the kids. So where did the 
Where did that time after uni take you both? Uh, and yeah, what what careers were you both chasing? Um, so I went back to Scone. I was working when my sister's boyfriend got hold of me. He actually worked for, on another farm as well as his, his own, and I actually got a job the place he was working on. Uh, it was around Scone. I was there for, and then I moved to the same people, but up the back of Silton. I was there for about two years, all up. Um, then moved onto another farm in Scone. Uh, and then eventually went f- contract fencing, a bit of contract mustering. Yep. And uh, then from there we sort of bought our own place, own farm. Had it for a couple of years and then it was drought hit, it was getting pretty tough, so we decided to get out. We've ended up here now. And what about for you, Karen, during, during that time? Yeah, I worked on a property between Mullally and Tambar Springs where they produced um, commercial Angus bulls. So I had a really nice herd up there. So I loved that life. And I guess I had to leave it a little bit behind when we got married and thought, well, I better live with my husband <laughs> then <laughs> at that point. So yeah, I moved to Scone when we got married and did a bit of work in the dairy industry. And um, yeah, then we had our own places and worked around there. And And since then, I've gone more into um, the area of mental health. So I worked for New South Wales Health in the rural team. So going out and visiting farmers and and checking in on their mental health. Tell me about about that because there might be some people in a similar situation where you met someone really young. So you guys actually split in terms of you to set up your own career while still being together and, and chase those dreams before coming back together. Is that right? Yeah, and look, there were times where Jamie would actually go to the States for six months at a time just to pursue his bull riding stuff and I would um, keep things together at home, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about the the decision to... I think a lot of young people in agriculture, the the dream is to own your own farm. You guys obviously achieved that at a fairly young age and then made the decision to sell. It was... It's always been my dream, I think Karen's too, to have our own farm and, and be farmers, beef producers. Um, it's just been a big cycle where we went right through the drought and got to the stage where if we didn't get out, we we're going to lose everything. So we decided to get out while we can. Had enough money to buy this place. There's only a little farm here, 100 acres. But now we're getting stage. We're starting to build cattle numbers up again, just on adjustment country. So it's been a big cycle. We're back to the first goal 30 years ago. Behind the scenes of that, it, have you found that there's kind of been this evolution that maybe owning the country isn't the pinnacle you can still be farmers and, and run your business without having to yeah. I mean ideally to have your own farm be lovely but adjustment you'd have to check fences spray birds water anything <laughs> yeah. if it gets good, dry right? you can just pick your cattle up and move you can't do that with um, yeah <laughs> find a bit of area where it's a bit wetter and 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 the bull riding piece, I didn't actually realise that you'd headed over to the state. So you, it wasn't just a, a side hustle. This was the real thing. You were chasing the the buckles across the world. Yeah, it was. Yeah, but um, once I got over there, I realised how strong the competition was over there. I don't regret it. Um, actually, one thing I probably do regret is spending so much time away from Karen doing it. Yep. Especially now, the position we're in. But yeah. Tell me about the rodeo scene over there. Ah. Uh, I lived with a contractor, had bulls, so we were away sort of three, four times a week, just all over Texas mainly, rodeowing. I uh, went to New York a couple of times and 
Yeah, wow. But you get on a plane and you fly, you know, a couple of states away and turn around, go back home, get back up for the next one. Was it, was it everything that you imagined? Bright lights, um, yeah, big crowds. It's, yeah, it's a place to be. Yeah, wow. Did you get over there, Karen? Uh, I've been over there once, yeah. And you, and you j- followed Jamie around the, the circuit over there? Yeah, I spent, I think it was six weeks and, yeah, did a bit of a run with him and, yeah, it was great. It's incredible. And did, when you came back to Australia, were you, were you still pursuing the, the rodeo career at that stage? I was, but I sort of, um, after the second time I was over there, just couldn't give it up but wanted to give it one last ditch effort. That's why I went back the third time. Yeah. Actually got busted up pretty bad and that forced me to come home. What What was the accident that forced you um, home? So I punched my lungs, got jumped on, punched my lungs, broke some ribs. And that wasn't just the only accident you'd had during I've been pretty lucky, actually. <laughs> I'm looking at Karen, she's shaking her head. <laughs> as hard as this is to believe, Jamie in his entire life has never had an injury where he needs plaster. Oh, well, no, you can't a foot, say. A foot. Well, you've broken a lot of bones. Cut just none that require <laughs> plaster. Or, or you're talking that... about, yeah, spines and, yeah, all those sort of ribs and that sort of thing. But I put it down similar to, I don't know, it's an addiction, whether it, he would sort of, that's it, I'm giving up, and then I, I'd sit with him for a while and he's like, okay, I'm just going to do this rodeo, and if I don't do not do well, um, that's it, that's that's, I'm done for good this time and then he'd go and win it and it was like okay here we go again <laughs> <laughs> just enough to keep you yeah it's it's that oh, I just need one last hit and then I'll be done and yeah I sort of joke that um, there was actually nothing wrong with his left leg and his left hand I just had the doctors amputate them to make sure he, he would um, <laughs> stop bull riding because he was still um he was out with an injury when he had his car accident, but he was still, yeah. I was yeah. 39 and my goal was to get to 40. Just got to have goals in life and that was my goal, to get to 40. Still riding bulls at the ultimate level in Australia. Yep. And, uh, and yeah, at that time there was an over 40s league yeah, sort of going that. there and he's like, they were saying, oh, come on, you're almost 40. Can you ride in that? And he's like, no, I'm not 40. <laughs> <laughs> not giving up. <laughs> in terms of injuries, there, there were a few along the way, and, and one that has a fair story behind it, something about a neck brace and taking the neck brace off to appear on, on Channel 7 one morning. As coincidence happened, um, I was in Sydney show riding for the state, and, and for Australia actually, um, broke my neck, got thrown off the wall, broke my neck, and then I, I've gone back to the the medical assistants, won't say it was, but um, they said, oh, it's fine, you just damaged nerves so he said sit there for half hour and to cool down so I've cooled down and he sent me off and 12 months to the day the same radio Sydney show and then there again I got thrown off a bull pretty bad broke, actually broke the vertebrae snapped, snapped one off and fractured the other but while I was there the old fracture from the year before so I actually fractured my neck the year before lucky like yeah, the second time he did end up in intensive care because he was knocked out for a long time. Where a lot of people go, oh, I wasn't there at the time. And yeah, a lot of people said they thought he was actually dead. Like he didn't wake up until he was at the hospital and he was in intensive care. And they 
he was put into an induced coma and they thought he um, had pretty serious head injuries. So, but I think um, you may be talking about the year before when he first hurt his neck a little bit and then was asked to do... Um... So I was down there and, and um, I broke my neck, had the neck brace on and Channel 7 rang up. They said, oh, wonder if you're interested in um, attempting the Guinness World Records. I'd never been on mechanical bulls. So I was a Guinness World Record for the longest time on a mechanical bull. Yeah. I'd never, I'd been on a couple, but you know, not many. I said, yeah, sure, I'm down here now, why not? So I rang Karen up, I said, oh, look, you better come down to Sydney. We're going to go to the studio, Channel 7, and attempt this Guinness World Record. She's like, oh, you can't, you've got a broken neck. No, it'll be fine. So she picks me up and we go to the studio, pull up in the car park. I said, uh, just hang on a minute. So I pulled the neck brace off. <laughs> Shuffled inside and had three attempts on the first day just a practice day. And I was just falling off for like four seconds. And the producer, I'm sure they scratched head going, what have we done here? Yeah. No, this is not going to be good. And maybe we should mention you couldn't feel one half of your body. <laughs> it's all numb, yeah. So the next, I said, no, look, it'll be fine. We'll come back tomorrow. We'll, we'll do the recording. I'll smash it. Hoping, hoping I would. Anyway, the next day, yeah, we well, managed to hang on. What changed between the day before and then? Oh, I suppose the cameras <laughs> had to perform. Yeah. Put a show on, you reckon? Mm, I guess. What were you thinking sitting there watching him, Karen? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what to think. I was just, I guess, hoping for the best. And I think that world record still is current. Yeah, it still stands. Funny thing was when... Hey, it's Nick here. Sheep farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community well-being and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. I actually, actually checked myself out of hospital. Um, and they said, oh, you can't sign yourself out. I said, no, look, I've had enough injuries over the years. I know my body. I think I'm right, like. I can, I'll go easy, I'll, I'll be right. And they said, no, you can't do that. I said, well, surely there's a bit of paper I can sign so you're not liable. Um, let me go. So eventually I talked them into it and I've signed this paper and I've walked out of the hospital with the brand new boots that I bought the day before, yeah. new riding boots. Luckily I didn't cut them off. I had a mate there and said, you're not cutting those boots off, they're brand new. <laughs> so I had them under my shoulder. Um, I think I had my hat on and a hospital gown. No bare feet, nothing. Yeah. And because I was still, at, we had a property at, um, at Polywar at the time and I was up there looking after that and and though the hospital was ringing me and I'm like, I can't control things from up here. And he rocked up at the um, entrance, got a taxi back to the entrance of the um, Sydney showground <laughs> in his hospital gown with his boots tucked under his arm and you know, ringing up someone to say, can you come to the front gate and pay for this taxi? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, as I've got in there, because I wanted to go and watch the, my whole thing in my head was I wanted to go and watch the last round of the bulls. Yeah. 
So I got there just in time to watch the last round of the Bulls and then uh, after the rodeo you all go to the members bar. Anyway, sitting at the members bar and I was starting to feel alright. Um, probably the medication had me on, couldn't feel anything. Had a couple of beers and looked up and he's high five. You know the kids? Yeah, yeah. Over there so I started dancing with him with his <laughs> neck brace on. and <laughs> Always a larrikin. Ah, oh, well. <laughs> Bit of alcohol, you know. Yeah. Uh, one last thing around the bull riding, um, it, like it is a an elite sport when you look at not just for the animal but the people on top of it. So you mentioned that you were trying to get to forty. What's it like as a as a sports person? Like in your head, you're still fully capable, but maybe your your body's starting to let you down. What was that decline like? Where you're still, yeah, mentally capable of performing at the top. Once level? there, you just haven't got that reflex. Just a bit slower, and when you hit the ground, it takes a bit of getting up at, at some times. Um, and the recovery's a bit slower too. Yeah. I always worked when I was riding. Always worked five, six days a week. Mm-hmm. So I was always fit that way. But um, I suppose when you get a bit older, you slow up a little bit. Don't do as much strenuous work. Yeah. As you should. Choose choose wisely or work more, work smarter. They reckon. That's it. Work smarter. <laughs> but actually, I think going back. Well, I think with my accident. Rodeo side has helped me a bunch. It's that men- mentally tough. Um, the goal in front of you, let's go and chase it, let's do it. So tell me a little bit more about the accident, what, what you're doing at the time. So I've been in the sale yards working. Um, been been two big years. We had we were, we were smashing records in there. Like one day we had 10,000 cattle, which is pretty big for in here at Dubbo. Where they used to average 5,500. Must have been the drought, was it? To have so many cattle come in. Must have been a dry time. But um, so I was coming home and obviously didn't make it home. Yeah. Um, collided with the tree up the, on, on the, up the, just up the road here and the car caught a light. And because it hit the tree, the, the motor had come back on my lap and I was trapped in the car. Um, and then I was sort of in and out of consciousness. But I do remember waking up and the fire was burning inside the, the centre console. So I had this, my seatbelt on. I got got struggling, couldn't get out, and I got the stage well, you know. If I don't get the seatbelt off, I'm going to die. So it's that, it's that uh, mentally toughness, you know. Put your hand in the fire and I'm getting out no matter what, which is what I'm going back to, what radio, I think, helped me get through that. So you remember those moments trapped inside the car? I remember certain parts where I was conscious. Yeah. Um, and I remember the neighbour just up, lives up the road here that pulled me out wasn't for him, I'd, I wouldn't be here now. Big man, strong enough to pull me out. I got to, got to, got the stage at one stage. I said, um, I said, mate, if you don't leave me here, you're gonna die. This car's gonna blow up. You'll, you'll die with me. He said, no, nah, so I'm staying with you. And that's to me, that's for someone to say that. And his wife was beside him. Yeah. And she was nine months pregnant, just about to drop. She's running around fire extinguishers and. So they were prepared to give everything up just to get me out. What does that mean to you now, looking back? Oh, it's a bunch. Yeah. Touches. Whereabouts were you that night, Karen? Uh, I, I was actually here. So I had um, sent Jamie a couple of text messages and tried to ring and I couldn't get him on either of his phones. And, and it was sort of funny. A, a friend from town had sort of rang me up and it's sort of someone I don't really speak to that often, but she'd 
said, oh, I just needed to know your guys are okay. She said, there was a couple of emergency vehicles going past and I just had a feeling. I'm like, well, I think we are. I can't get a hold of, you know, Dodge, but, you know, I, you know, I haven't seen him go past here. And um, anyway, I had a just a quick chat to her and I said, oh, well, I better go and try and track him down. And, um, you know, it was dinner time. I was had dinner almost on the table and I just sort of sat down and I thought, I don't know, I just can't even explain the fact that I knew something had happened to him. It was just, and I said to the kids, just sit here and eat your dinner. I'll be back soon. I'm going for a drive and it's that funny thing where I don't even know where the feeling come from and I didn't, it didn't even cross my mind that he was down helping with an accident. I just knew something had happened to him and that it was actually only three, three and a half kilometres from our house where the accident happened and sort of go up, down, oh, it's a bit of a rise and as I sort of go over the rise, I could just see um, flames racing up a tree and cars pulled over and I pulled over there and um, walked down and I could see he'd made the dog box for the back of his ute so I knew it was his, it was like a custom made one and I could see the silhouette, the shape of that and I knew he was, that was his ute and at the time there was two police officers standing on the road and um, there was no one else there, there was no ambulance, there was no fire brigade and I actually stood there and um, thought he was still in that vehicle and um, you know your legs do just go out from underneath you and I kind of thought we were just yeah basically watching the last of Jamie disappear I guess yeah and then um, yeah I guess someone came up and said to me oh you know you can't sit on the road and I thought what a weird thing to say <laughs> um, and they said oh no no he's um, the ambulance is actually taking him to Dubbo he's alive he's not real well but he's he has been got you know he's no longer in the vehicle so I'm like okay for me that was it was an incredibly hard moment but I look back and think it was probably one of the best things that could have happened because everything from that point was it was up it was better it was you know that was it showed me what how bad it could get and um yeah it didn't get that bad <laughs> Again, sort of thing. And did you tell well, what happened from there? You, you headed into Dubbo, or, where, or did you yeah, come back to the kids? Yeah, I um, I went I went into the hospital and was actually the my friend that had called me up to sort of check that we were okay. She's um, she's actually I have to pass her house on the way there, and I gave her a call. I gave one of my neighbours a call and said, "Can you come over and look after my kids?" and and then I rang her and I said, "Can I pick you up?" on the way into Dubbo, um, it was Dodge and um, she's a nurse so I thought what better support to have at a hospital. So she came in with me and um, yeah, we went into the hospital and I sort of had to sit around for a little bit before I could go in and see him and um, I went in there and I guess it was very overwhelming by that time he was intubated and they were waiting for a retrieval team to be sent from Sydney and um, you know, they let me know he was not in a good way. And when I walked into the bay in triage, they sort of seen him there and I took everything in and I thought, um, I don't know, it was just another sense that went, go around and 
there was a bit of a, I guess, a story behind Jamie and his wedding rings. Yeah. He's, um, I don't know whether he's just throwing them away on purpose or he's accident. He's telling me he's accidentally losing them. He, uh, and um, truth's coming out. Yeah, uh, like a few years before that, I think it was our thirteenth wedding anniversary. We're we're away, and it's I think it's the only family vacation we've ever been on. And um, he said, "Oh, I'm going to get a new wedding ring," and I'm like, "I don't know about this. You just seem to keep just." throwing them away and he said no no I promise I won't lose this one I'm going to get it tattooed on on my finger and I said okay you're sure that's a big commitment (laughs) a tattoo he's like no I'm sure and I'm like okay if you lose this one this time it is over it's um yeah I I know you're just not (laughs) throwing away on purpose if you get rid of this one and so that that evening when I walked into the hospital room there was just something telling me go and have a look at um and see if that wedding ring is still there on his finger. And it was on his left hand. It had, like, gotten the brunt of the fire, been sitting in the fire, and it was it was black. His whole hand was black and charcoal, except for there was this one band around where his um, wedding ring goes that was untouched, so I could just see that tattoo really distinct. And ah, burning. And I thought, shit, Karen said she's going to leave me if I lose this ring. So I put my thumb over like that and I'd pass out. And I'd come to and, yeah. Got the stage where I actually put my hand like this. These were my, my life, you know. That's where I made the money out of my hands and the wedding ring. That which was all hidden. And It's funny how when you're in certain situations, how those little things come up, you know, like a, a, a critical incident like that and I'm worried about a wedding ring yeah but for me it was a sign yeah we've got this he's he's not gone he's sort of yeah this isn't over and um from there yeah they had a retrieval team flew up from Sydney and it's a team of you know amazing doctors that came up and um sort of got him ready there in Dubbo and it was probably close to um midnight one o'clock by the time they left Dubbo but while we're in the hospital they kept on asking me um about going flying to sydney with him and i don't know i was just really insistent that i wouldn't fly down with him like we need to know at this point this is your last opportunity and and they were sort of pulling my friend aside and saying you've got to get her on this plane because she's going to regret not being there when he dies if she doesn't get on the plane she's not going to be there in that moment and she'll regret it for the rest of her life and for me i just had going through my mind he wouldn't dare die without me being there so me not being there will keep him alive he'll keep fighting until I actually get to Sydney and um yeah and I thought if he's in Sydney that's his best place of survival so for me it was like I couldn't get on that plane because I had to make sure he kept fighting until I was back there with him and and they could take over so yeah what does blow my mind is they flew me down by aeroplane, got an helicopter and they landed on top of the hospital. So I went straight to emergency. How many doctors was in the room? Um, yeah, we like were... 17 doctors or... Yeah, I guess we did it. Doctors in that room just yeah. all had their own um, job, you know, like the, the, say the, the legs and the, the burns. And yeah. We did a, a medical conference that we were asked to by uh, Royal North Shore guys to sort of share our story and I guess it gave time to reflect there was one of the surgeons 
that looked after Jamie and he did a bit of a, a spiel before we did and and he sort of gave the run through of what was going on there medically for Jamie and, and he said that first time they took him into surgery there was was it thirty seven or thirty eight doctors and that's doctors alone, not all the nurses and everything else that worked on him in that first operation because he had um, yeah, he had a broken back, he had all his burns, he had significant head injuries to the point where the team that was looking after his head sort of was sort of saying to the other doctors, I really don't think this is viable. He's going to have no quality of life with the amount of brain damage he's going to suffer. Um, so really maybe think about basically cutting your losses here. Um, yeah, there was concerns that um, because of the fire he would be blind because his eyelids were all burnt off, um, the damage to his lungs, he had internal injuries. Um, yeah, 40% burns, I think. Look, it was such an extensive list of... That's why so many doctors had to be in there treating all their, you know, special sections and, yeah. Tell me... Well, I just think both of you are absolutely incredible, just the power of you to, yeah, kind of instil that that real hope at that time that things are going to be okay and that, yeah, you'd, you'd keep fighting because Karen wasn't there. In terms of... I've only ever spoken with one other person, a young guy who um, had an accident and suffered burns as well. But that moment when you look at yourself for the first time in a mirror, where where that was, what what was that moment like? Yeah, it's um, it's funny because I didn't think I was that bad. I remember I had a um, was the the, the my, my burns nurse used to come in uh, every morning and she'd like stretch my skin out because it's starting to shrink it's been burnt but I said to her one day I said how bad is my face is it just here that's burnt she went Jamie your whole face is burnt like I could look in the mirror and I just couldn't see it but the medication I was on or what I don't know but whether it's just uh, um, you don't want to believe what you're seeing yeah it wasn't until she actually said your, fa- your whole face is burnt I actually had a look and I went oh and that took a bit of getting over um, as far as my appearance we used to get out so I was, used to get out on like a, on days, so Karen would take me down to the, the supermarket. And I, I used to hate that because the people would just they'd stare at you. I mean, it's understandable. You see me burnt in the wheelchair and one arm, one leg. But uh, that was that, that took a bit of getting, getting used to. Tell me about that because that's something uh, I'm interested in. Obviously, you're still the exact same person on the inside, but this perception that because physically and visually there was something different about you what is it that I guess around that of yeah people's perceptions of, of essentially it's judging a book by its cover yeah what frustrated you about that at that time just I don't know just people staring at you and um what really did get to me was a few a few people said you'll never work again you'll never ride horses again um and that really drove me I remember being in hospital, um, and it was just like it's a big nightmare. I want this nightmare to end. So I've got to get back to work, get back home, get back to living, back to the family. And that's what got me through there, just that that's what I was going to do, and, right or wrong. And you accelerated it pretty well, didn't you? You kept the, the doctors and the physios on their toes. <laughs> yeah. they, were, they were good. Ironically, the, the main doctor, his name was Dr. Char, been a Burns victim, and there was... Bit of a joke with him. 
And then you set yourself a, a big goal off the back of it. You Not only just to get on a horse, it was to do a, a pretty decent ride from out the back of Tilpa, wasn't it? Well, when I got home, um, I decided 12 months after the accident, so the 27th of, of March was the accident, 27th of March, the following year, 2015, I was going to ride a horse. So I did. Two days before that, I was, it was killing me. Let's get this horse. No, wait, wait. So I, mean, I only rode around the just around the house here and and then I was talking to Karen one day I said you know, now that my operations and everything have started to slow a little bit how about we go away on the holiday I was like well, what are we going to do go to Sydney we've been there for three months or whatever and four months so we decided to load the horses up and, and we're going to go out west and just go for a ride at the same time um, Channel, Channel 9 rang up and they'd been talking to one, one of my doctors and had this show lined up called, um, uh, what's it called? This time next year. Oh, next year, yeah. Which is all about setting a goal, giving yourself 12 months to reach that goal. So we thought, well, this is what we're planning on doing, having a holiday with the horses. How about we... I think they initially wanted to do a story on Jamie about his recovery and his, like he was going through stages of getting a nose because his nose was burnt off and, and it was this, like, you had to be dedicated to this like basically getting a new one done it was in operations every second week major operations and and they're like oh well that would be really good if we could maybe say how far you come in in your recovery over over the next 12 months and he's like oh no sorry I don't have time to do that <laughs> I'm doing this other thing and like we're we're riding from Tilpa back to Dubbo and trying to raise money for amputees and they're like so sorry, we don't have time for your show. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that was part of it too, like to, to give back, you know, to, to, to prove to other people, no matter what your situation is, you can still achieve. So we decided to donate to, to, to amputees, raise money. It's an interesting one, and, and it's something, like, feel free not to answer it, but you um, were working during all of this, and Karen then, like, it, it was extensive periods of time. We both out of work, like, you're doing this ride to raise money for other people. How how were you guys getting on financially at this stage? I was very lucky. Um, the radio community is a real tight-knit community. Um, and back at Scone, real tight-knit community. And my work in here at Dubbo, at the sale yards, a real tight-knit community. Everyone gets in and helps each other when, when people are down. Um, so there's three, three good friends of ours. Um, they actually organised an auction over at Scone. And all the radio people come along and scone people and whoever wanted to come and they raised a bit of money was it enough to we keep it home you know we still had money on it and um there's people the sayas truck drivers donated money and just enough to get us through you know until i can get back to work yeah well i was never going to work again it was always the oh, you go and just let me pension but i always wanted to give back you know and and, and pay my way yeah so, yeah, it was obviously got us until I could get back to work again. I guess it's setting that example for our children too, that, you know, getting on with life and getting back and contributing. And I guess a lot of people have this dream, wow, what would actually happen if I didn't have to work? And we all, all think about it. <laughs> but yeah, then it, it's a little <laughs> bit different when that the choice is taken away from you and goes suddenly someone says, you can't work anymore. And how you see yourself? Yeah, like Karen just said, 
people say you can't work again. That it's like driving a knife in you. you know, let's no, you won't do that to me. This is what I want to do. With someone who is so yeah, like you who who built their life around work and and being as you said, being able to use your hands, did you lose ever, like lose touch of kind of who you were at the core? No, because I had in my mind that I'm going back to work no matter what. And I was going to go back to do what I was doing before. Yeah. Um, so that was, there was no option there for me. He's pretty stubborn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love work. I always have. People think I'm mad probably by saying that, but it's um, achieving something, you know, like building a fence or something. You can see, see the end product, it's, you know. I, I think there was a big push for us to sell, you know, even though we've only got a small farm, but we, you know, people just said, you've got to sell it. You've got to move somewhere to a cold climate. You've got to either move to Orange or the Blue Mountains and, um, you know, because you won't be able to handle the heat. And I think, like, if we had done that, if we had listened to what everyone was telling us that we had to do and had a little house in town, I don't think Jamie's recovery would have – we just – he wouldn't be where he is now because it was that driving thing to to go out and to be out with the cattle. I, I remember the first time he came home from Sydney and he wasn't down there very very long. We were told we'd be down there for 12, 18 months and I think we spent, was it three, four months down there all up and because yeah. he just checked himself out and said, that's it, we're going home. And, and in hindsight, that was the best thing, you know, when he opened the car door and climbed out and he didn't come in the house. He went straight up and saw his dogs and saw, um, you know, the old bull and, and went and saw the the other Brahmins and that was it. He, There was just no stopping him. It was that drive and yeah. I think that's sort of something for any country person that's got a property, it's that drive. It's not a choice. They've just got to... It's a part of who they are to go out and go to work each day and, and what they get out of it is just as much as what they put in. I, I want to turn a little bit. Resilience is something so many people have talked about over the last little while, but you guys are the absolute epitome of it and, and then some, I think. Now, like you, whether it was raising money for the amputees, but also, Karen, your work now um, in the rural mental health space, like the last, the last few years... Uh, of the back of that drought, particularly in Western New South Wales, where you guys call home, has been pretty tough. And and you put yourself, despite everything you've been through, you were you went out of your way to really help other people. Can you? Yeah, I'm I'm quite passionate about the fact that people are out there doing it tough. And you know, I guess everyone's had a bit of a taste of what isolation is like in the city and and how it affects them. But it's a part of country life and. And it's probably more so now with COVID coming in, there's the lack of events that are going on when the opportunities of people to actually get off the farm and come together in town have disappeared. Um, you know, in the past, I'm not condoning drink driving, but now with, you know, we all recognise it's, it's not the thing to do now, but it sort of stops people even more like that going to the pub of a Friday night because they're like, well, I can't get home if I do that. So they just don't do it. So... Even all that's very isolating and, and that and, you know, you add a couple of droughts and mice plagues and floods and now everyone's got these fantastic looking crops 
and then we have all this wet and how that affects everyone. It sort of um, was a really good space for me to go into and I thought I could really make a difference to people out there and, and since then I've gone on and now I work for Royal Flying Doctors and I'm an alcohol and other drugs clinician and, and get to go out and actually see people throughout our great western New South Wales and um, yeah offer a bit of a friendly ear for them to talk to and, and help any way I can which it's is funny Karen was never one that was well she socialised but she was pretty shy and then to see her in this role now, she just adapted to it and, and loves it. It's um, pretty eye-opening to me. Absolutely. Makes you proud. Really making a difference in other people's lives. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's awesome. And other people she don't even know. You know like, yeah. For people who are unaware of like the challenges of Western New South Wales, what are some of those things that have kind of, yeah, come up out of it? I guess it is, yeah, it's... The challenges of what they've been through the last few years has been a lot of tough years and it's almost seems to be one thing after another and and that almost when are we going to get a break like you know the drought and then it rained and then the mice come in and then we've got a bit of a reprieve from the mice but then it sort of rains and a lot of people aren't going to get you know all their crops off or cattle prices are through the roof which is fantastic if you have cattle but if you've not been able to wait, make your way back into that market that's a whole other thing so yeah yeah and, and in terms of uh, i think yeah well for, for our listeners and people who follow humans of agriculture they're kind of from all over and it's really about kind of the in it's, it's about the individual and, and helping people share their own story, but really highlighting the importance of that. So for you in, in both of both your life and, and your work, what's been the importance of yeah building that network and that community around you to support you, you guys in good times, but also the, the rocky roads that have popped up? It's, it's a must. I mean, without Karen's support, I wouldn't have got to where I am here now. You know, like so she, was, she, had, she had my back no matter what. And that's, I guess, what you're talking about, is having that community, close-knit community where you can watch each other's back and help them out. Yeah, and I guess Jamie sort of spoke to you about it before, like rodeo was such a big part of our life and, and when we really needed them, they really stepped up and, you know, helped us out. And, and yeah, that's just... People that I'd only see on the weekend. It was a, how you going, mate? What's going on? A five-minute chat and that was it. That's all you'd see them, you know, and... And some probably drove, I'm guessing, four or five hundred cages to come to have, have that night there, you know. Yeah. And even that that accident brought those people together, which is, you know, it's good. And even, you know, there was a lot of people that we'd never even met but just heard our story and wanted to help. So it was all pretty amazing. Can I... I've got a couple more questions, but around that of, yeah, I think rural Australia and agriculture is just so special in that sense of community and I think that's the real piece of why I'm so passionate about show, showing other people like just the opportunities there are in, in agriculture but um, yeah, I've lost my thought well there, there was a goal in there around the horses that you set Jamie and, and one of them was just to get back on and ride but it, you'd had your, your left leg amputated your left arm and Karen you yeah you had you started the horse training before this point um, I'd like, you know, I'd yeah. ridden horses as work and, you know, I've always loved horses, but 
It was, I guess, the fact that I thought we really need to step up our horse sort of knowledge and horsemanship and I was lucky enough to um yeah go to a go to a clinic um Dan Steers out of Tamworth he has he's part of the double Dan horsemanship and and um yeah I guess that changed a lot of stuff for us and how I saw horses anyway and and they become a part of me staying well I guess and that time even if it was five or ten minutes of an afternoon of going and either feeding or rugging or moving horses, that time I spent with them just became so beneficial for me. And then the fact that I recognised how beneficial it was and, um, yeah, I think there's been quite a few afternoons where Jamie would say, can you just please go up and spend a bit of time with your horses? (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah, you need to. Um, uh, and then I moved from, um, I don't know, thinking more about the um, the groundwork sort of side of stuff than, than the ridden, which would been my main focus before, and moved on to doing a lot of Liberty stuff with my horses. And I guess from there, I just saw the benefit of that connection of, of really forming that great relationship with your horse and what it can do. And yeah. From there, I would actually something I would like to really go out and and help other people with now and and get people that have even the access to horses to give them a few skills of how they can benefit more from just more than just riding the horse. How we can um, yeah, have that it's, connection. It my my mind up with Karen doing the liberty. Um, I was one of the fellows that go out in the quad bike and run the horse in the yard, chuck a saddle, and off you go. No real connection. It was just a tool for me, a work tool. Whereas Karen saw the the other side of it, where let's work with them and get that connection happening, and so she can just walk out now, and they pretty much come running up to her. Yeah. I guess it's that challenge to think, okay, if I don't have a have a, even a rope or anything on my horse, how can I get it to do all this really cool stuff that I, I saw other people doing? And, and it's that time to actually just focus your thoughts onto. Wow, overcoming that challenge and, and thinking thinking outside the square of how does that happen? And so, for, for I'm not sure what liberty is. What is liberty and, and you're talking about this connection and, and training yeah, the horse? I guess it's just working with your horse and, and getting that communication going where you go, I want you to do this. And the horse says, sure, I'm happy. I'm more than happy to do that for you. And without that force or that, yeah. Happy to do it. Yeah, that they just want to please you, I guess. And it's yeah. How do you form that relationship? Well, how do you? <laughs> um, a lot of hours and a lot of good communication. I think that's why it can be so beneficial for anyone to work out what communication is is really doing. You know, what's your body language doing, and you know more than just the words that you're saying and how we treat each other. And yeah. And that that's not just with the horse. That's with everything. It, it's. Letting someone know that they're being heard, I guess. Yeah, you see them and, and whether that's part of my work going out and saying, hey, I'm here just to listen to you. I'm here. Oh, I'm seeing you. I, I'm feeling what you're going through. And and that in itself can make a big difference. If if you give someone your time or even, you know, with a horse that's giving an animal at that time to say, hey, I feel you. I see you. I want to hear what you have to say and... I think it can make a huge difference in anyone's life if you're out there trying to support someone 
that enough is is going to be a, a huge difference to them. It's kind of the essence of connection, really, isn't it? Yeah. And so coming back to that and building connections, and a, a lot of people may not have heard your story, Jamie, but and also yours, Karen, which is absolutely incredible as well. And so I'm so glad that you came on and and shared it. But for when you guys share your story and what you've been through and potentially like one stranger out there and what someone might take from it, what, what would you guys hope that yeah, people may take from, from the story that you guys have shared? Just not to give up. Um, we've all got things, places you want to be, a nice house or whatever your goal is. Just because you have one hiccup doesn't mean your goal's over. You, know, you can still get there. Actually, I, did, I, did, I went around with the, the State of Origin team to a few schools, talking to kids about their driving, because you know the 17, 18-year-old kids about to get the license. Yeah. And from that was the reaction I got out of those kids, just safe driving, you know, abide by the rules, all that sort of thing. Um, that was that was pretty touching to me. See the, the reaction of the kids. And what about for you, Karen? Um. I don't know what my message is, but for me, my biggest lesson that we learnt everything we've been through over the last, yeah, what is it, seven and a half, eight years, and it was a pretty, I guess we learnt the lesson the hard way, is what people mean to you and, and the value of life. And our relationship has, like, it was always pretty fantastic, but now it's so much better when you, every day, I think, when you looked at what life would have been like without Jamie and and like I had a lot of time in those seven, eight weeks to think about what is life going to be like without him? How, what's my kid's life going to be like growing up? Like our kids were pretty young at the time. They were, I think, 12. So our eldest was just started high school. Um, so 12, 10 and 4. And, you know, it's... They're young and you think, yeah, it just makes you value life like you've never valued it before and appreciate people and, you know, we sort of tell each other what we, you know, that how much we mean to each other and, yeah, if I could give anyone a gift, it would be knowing what we know now and, yeah, how precious life is and it's to be lived and, yeah, make the most of it. I think... That ties in so well, and I need to ask the question because uh, we ask it on every podcast, but in terms of you, if you guys had the chance to go in and talk to a class of Year 10 students, they're 16-year-olds, what would be your advice to them about pursuing a career in agriculture and regional Australia and what it could provide to them? I think, especially at this point in time now, like this, there's so much opportunity in agriculture. Um, the meat industry meat industry's booming. Grains are going to be It'll probably be booming after this this harvest, I think. Um, but there's just so many opportunities, and and seem to be a lot of young kids coming into the, that agricultural life too. Um, it's a good way of life. Yeah, and mine would probably be just don't think you have to lock something in and make the right decision. Just get out there and do something. Like whether it's going up north and working on a station or going anywhere, and and just getting your foot in the door, and then. You never know where life's going to lead you. I think we've found that too. It's just ever-changing. Get out and go. Get, get, get what you're after in life.
Thank you so much for sitting down and, and sharing with us, Jamie and, and Karen. I love this conversation. I feel pretty emotional at times as well. Um, you have. <laughs> I'm back old memories. <laughs> I pushed that aside for a bit. No, well, thank you no. so much for being so honest and, and vulnerable as well. It's incredible. Thank you. No, thank you. I did mention earlier that we were doing things differently and this podcast actually has a whole video podcast associated with it as well as a short kind of teaser version which pulls out some of the key parts of it as well. Head over to our socials at Humans of Agriculture with an underscore or our website humansofagriculture.com to check them out and stay up to date with everything that's happening for us. If you enjoyed this episode, please review, rate, share it with your friends. Um, Our podcast is out here to tell more of the extraordinary stories that there are out there in Australian agriculture. And I can't wait to join you again next week. Look after yourselves. Stay safe. Stay sane.